I'm a big fan of using that time in the warm-up to push athletes towards the messy outer edges of their athleticism. And, you know, and that happens subtly. And it's for, you know, maybe a smaller percentage of warm-up, but I think there's a lot of benefit from them having to kind of solve these movement puzzles um, with different with different implements, with different uh, uh, different toys, things like that. Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast, the podcast that dives into the philosophies, ideas, and practices of some of the best practitioners in high-performance sport. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast definitely features one of my favourite human beings in Rhett Larson. And listen to this whole episode, and you'll definitely understand why. Super funny guy, but incredibly knowledgeable, and it's in this episode where we dive into warm-ups and cool-downs. Now, may not be the sexiest of topics, but it is the time that the strength and conditioning coach or sports scientist gets alone with the players and is almost what we've, in potentially some circles, what we've become known for, the warm-up guy, which is the often the SNC coach or the, the fitness coach. So it's a super important time, whether that be 15 minutes, 20 minutes, to really make an impact. And it is in this episode that Rhett definitely makes an impact on how I certainly think and probably how you will think about warm-ups and cool-downs. So it's a super interesting episode. Anyone that's read High Performance Training for Sports 2nd Edition will know that Rhett has become the man when it comes to warm-ups, especially warm-ups, but also cool-downs. So a really cool episode coming up with Rhett, which I'm sure you'll really, really enjoy. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Satanta College. Led by Dr. Liam Hennessy, Satanta College provides coaches with the opportunity to take their career to the next level with qualifications in strength and conditioning and performance science. Satanta's blended learning approach ensures you have flexibility to continue your studies alongside your coaching practice. And lectures are delivered online with practical workshops held in locations across Ireland, the UK, the United States, India and South Africa. Courses are designed by experts in the field of sports science, including Professor Ian Jeffries and Des Ryan, with a focus on practically applying the most current methodologies in your day-to-day coaching. Applications are now open for the MSc in Performance Coaching and MSc in Applied Sport and Exercise Psychology, along with a range of strength and conditioning programs from certificate to degree level. Visit stantacollege.com for more information and how to apply. And this episode is also sponsored by Hawking Dynamics. Hawking Dynamics is the world's first wireless force plate testing system. The Hawking Dynamics system is built for coaches to test in the real world, not just in the lab. Capture reliable data on all your athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor their progress in the cloud from anywhere in the world. The Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, portable and trusted by teams at every level of sport. Integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring program has never been easier or more affordable. If you want to see the Hawking Dynamics force plate system in action, head over to their website hawkingdynamics.com to schedule a demo or follow them on Twitter at Hawking Dynamics. So without further ado, over to the episode with Rhett. Rhett Larson, welcome to the Pace Performance Podcast. Thank you for giving up some of your afternoon to have a little chat. Hey, it's my pleasure. I'm giving up my afternoon, but you're giving up your middle of the night. <laughs> well, someone someone did offer the opportunity to uh, to get on the podcast at 10 o'clock in the evening. It was taken, which is absolutely fine. <laughs> Absolutely no problem at all. It's good to finally catch up. It's great to finally catch up. It's, yeah. It's a pleasure I'm... to have you. Oh, man. Long Anyone time doesn't... fan. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you very much. It's a, it's a, it's an honor for you to say that. Um, anyone doesn't know who you are, Rhett, would you mind just giving us a bit of a an intro to yourself, what you're currently doing and working back from there? Sure, sure. I'm currently the strength and conditioning coach for the German national women's volleyball team. And prior to that, I was with the Dutch women's volleyball team for two years. And then prior to that, I was with the Chinese women's volleyball team for four or five years, something around there. Um, And uh, that's the extent of my women's volleyball 
background. And before that, I actually was uh, you know, a journeyman like many of you out there that was working with all kinds of sports. I worked for uh, Exos, Athletes Performance, uh, for seven years almost, or about five years while I was in China. Um, before I started working with the Chinese team, I, I was with uh, Exos over in China uh, starting before the London Olympics in 2011 and then you know, up through Rio in 2016. And then, uh, and before that, uh, a bunch of time spent in Southern California working primarily with younger athletes. That's kind of where I cut my teeth as a strength coach, uh, was working for a company that specialized in that kind of 8 to 18 range, um, uh, which I, I recommend to a lot of coaches. I think it was really a nice way to, to come up. But, uh, but for whatever reason, right now, I am a women's volleyball specialist. I don't know how it happened but not, not mad at it. It's a fun sport. I mean, I have, I have been with the Chinese national shooting team for months. That is a dull practice to have to sit through, Rob. You don't <laughs> want to be at that practice every day. Women's volleyball, substantially more entertaining to have to while away the hours of practice. I can imagine. I can imagine. So when you say you would recommend it, you recommend young coaches to go through a youth pathway before progressing to senior oh, athletes? Absolutely. I mean, for... And I used to think I used to think it was primarily because it helps you develop your coaching eye, right? You get to see bigger problems, you know, more gross motor problems, and help you kind of quickly diagnose and fix the biggest one, and then move on to the next. And it and it helps when you have not only younger athletes that are maybe making bigger mistakes and moving a little more slowly, uh, but you also get a higher volume of athletes. I mean, that's usually in group youth training. But here's what I actually think might be the sneaky best reason to do it is that especially with small group training of young athletes, it teaches you super valuable group control. And that is something that as I have moved through the world of elite sport, I see more and more coaches that come over that are brilliant. But if you give them seven athletes at a time, the session breaks down and there's just the flow is off. There's a lot of sitting around and they, and those coaches don't, um, you know, sometimes suffer, I think. And, I learned some really valuable lessons about how to keep groups of athletes, you know, sweaty, but learning, um, entertained, um, while also, I feel like, you know, of course, achieving all the performance goals that we wanted to. And, and getting that mix right, um, designing programs and being able to keep the motivation going on a group of young athletes, that is a special skill. That unfortunately, sometimes when you go to a, a performance facility, they'll stick their rookie coaches on the youngest groups of athletes, when in fact, that is the hardest group to be able to manage. And if you're good at it, that will serve you. That will pay dividends, even when you're working with the elite athletes. That's like when you see that maybe the older age strength coach or older age coach, and you you see them communicate, and then you actually realize that they come through a physical education background there were potentially teachers plenty who have been on the podcast kelvin giles eddie jones england rugby head coach all teachers and then you go that's why you sound like you do that's why you communicate as effectively as you do that is spot on yep 100 percent. yeah yeah I've, I've told us many stories of when i used to uh, take PE lessons at primary schools and you've got 30 kids they all want to be entertained. I know it's not high-performance sport, but you've got to control that, them 30 kids, keep the 10 that are desperate to be there, the 10 that cannot stand you or physical yeah. education lessons, and the 10 that probably aren't particularly bothered. So you've got these three groups, um, and you've got, to, you've, got to, you've got to do your bit to, uh, to keep them entertained and not, get them, not allow them to climb on the roof or chuck your cones everywhere. Yeah, the task. moment, and you're right, because the moment you're spending too much time with that third group, that group that doesn't want to be there, you're, you're doing it, you're sacrificing yep. the other group. And that group wants to see that you'll treat them in a certain way that shows that you really care about them, but that you, you're also not going to ignore the ones that are actually behaving. You don't want to always just give the squeaky wheel the grease. Uh, you know, I think it's, it was always this art of coaching that, that would hit with the, with the coaches that were great at it were the ones where they have a group of seven kids, but each one of those kids would come out having gotten individual feedback that would come out having, you know, if a, if a mom asked, 
what did you learn that day? They should absolutely be able to knock off things that they learned. They should be sweating their butts off. They should be smiling throughout the workout. And, and, and you at the end of the workout should be able to write in their chart. This is where he got better. And this is, um, you know, the feedback I gave him, like it, it is so much harder than a lot of coaches give it credit for. But once you have that skill, I mean, I still, I still utilize those skills training the, you know, the best of the best volleyball players every single session. Yeah. So you're unaware of how you became the women's volleyball guy, but how did you become the warm-up guy? (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, these things, these Rob, these things happen kind of organically and you know, it's, it's um, you know, I, Having, you know, use systems, because like I said, I was with uh, the EXO system here in the United States for a long time, and that has a certain way that you're supposed to do warm-ups to prepare them for the, the uh, whatever work is going to be done, done afterward. And, you know, it is so well thought out. It's so well done. But, of course, there were parts of it that didn't fit my personality or parts of it that I thought, okay, if I had my druthers, I would probably sacrifice a little bit of that to do a little bit of something that I think might be more more in line with, you know, what, the way I feel that athletes need to start, pre- start preparing for their workouts. And, and, and I guess eventually it got to the point where I was doing things uniquely enough that people started taking notice. And, you know, then you get somebody like David Joyce, who becomes a colleague of mine, who looks over and says, you know, you don't do this like everybody else. And I would love for you to talk to people more about what your thought process is in designing a warm up, And, and then that guy ends up writing a big book and he asks you to do a chapter. And so that, that's how it happens. It's really just yeah, you know, the right place at the right time and doing things a little bit differently, I guess. Yeah. But, you know, honestly, Rob, I put a ton of time into thinking about my warm-ups. And, and that's something that I've also come to realize that maybe I do differently than a lot of coaches is that I spend an inordinate amount of time thinking about what the warm-ups are going to be for that week ahead. And uh, even the day ahead, you know, it's kind of a... A thing that changes can change pretty quickly, but uh, but yeah, that's probably it. Which is interesting. If you're putting this time in and this this effort into design effective warm ups, and you say that's different, or Joyce, you said that's potentially different to what other people are doing, and the execution might be different, but you'd hope that people are putting the time into design these warm ups because often. More often than not, the strength coach, that's that's the bit that is theirs. That is the bit that more often than not, the, the technical coach knows them for. The other one, like how often is the SNC coach, performance coach, whatever you want to call them, not being called the warm-up guy? You're the warm-up guy or the warm-up girl. So that's the bit that can be owned, properly owned and developed and enhanced and thought about and 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 properly designed. So, yeah, do, do you find that it is something that, despite that, what I've just said, it gets neglected? Yeah, I, I think that it is an enormous missed opportunity by a lot of coaches because you're right. It is a, a time when you are not only with your athletes, but you're kind of on stage in front of your coaches. Like this is a moment that you get every before every single technical training that you can prove to your coaches how much you not only understand volleyball players or you can understand exactly you know, even better, understand what they've been working on all week and that all of a sudden you're incorporating the stuff that the that was driving the head coach crazy in practice yesterday. You've incorporated it into your warm-up the next day. Like now we're just, uh, if you're not thinking in that way, then, you know, you're missing an opportunity to, well, A, keep your job, like to cement yourself yeah. in a team that, you know, if, if you are doing this well, if you, if you have an adaptable warm-up that is, at all times adjusting to meet the needs of your team at that time, then good luck to the dude trying to take your job next season, you know, because especially if he's doing the same skips and karaoke and walking knee hugs that, that everybody's been trotting out in the manuals for the last 20 years. Yeah. Let's reverse this, this little bit of the conversation and go back to, do we actually need to warm up? Because how I remember warming up as a 16-year-old football player and the same story everywhere was a lap around the pitch, some static stretches, job done. Get the ball, balls come out 
and the footballs come out and we uh, and we crack on. It gets handed over to the technical coach. So with that in mind, there'll be still people out there that think that's sufficient. But all in all, why do you need to warm up? You know, why put the time in? So yeah, Rob, you don't need that warm up. <laughs> I don't think. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean. The, the bars, you do need to get muscle tissue warm. I mean, that's all the, the research when you look into it. Like the only thing that we know is that if you want to prevent people from getting hurt, if you want to increase performance, like you really just need to, you know, a warm tissue performs better and can go through a better range of motion and it's just less likely to get hurt than a cold tissue. So so you've got to get muscle temperature up. And to the, in that respect, what you were doing running around the pitch a couple times, tick the box. Tick. And that's great. Yeah. But but as i said before you are leaving so much on the table when you when you choose to spend your time doing that cuz i don't think you need that in fact if that's what we're calling a warm up i don't think we need that but at certain times in my in you know in a season my team needs speed you know at certain times they need more shoulder stability at certain certain times they need to not have their shoulders hurt so much at certain times and and they do need more time to do each one of those things in a certain moment during my season. So whereas I don't need your, the traditional warm up, I do always need more time to do something that's going to help the, you know, whatever, you know, whatever thing weakness that they have that is uh, manifesting itself on the, on the volleyball court at that time. So, so yeah, there's studies that show, yeah, you've got to warm up. Um, but, but, it is a tremendous waste of time to do it in a way that is not targeted towards your team's biggest weakness at that moment. Excuse my language here, but I always remember a quote and I sent it over to you on the email was from Andrea Pirlo. The, I think he was Italian captain, soccer mm-hmm. captain. And he described the warm up as masturbation for conditioning coaches. Hated <laughs> yeah. it. Absolutely hated it. Um, hey. You know but, what, yeah. Rob? He's not like so. Well, I don't know. I don't know that coaches get as, enough pleasure out of it to be called strictly masturbation. But I will <laughs> say that some warm-ups seem to be designed to make the coach look like make the coach feel better than the athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. That said, if you buy the editor's cut of the uh, of the textbook, you'll see in figures twenty three through twenty seven, I talk all about Coach Autoeroticism. <laughs> You're gonna just enjoy that. So the editor's cut. I like but, it. Uh, I like it. Joyce did not send me that copy. No, that's that's extra. So yeah, that that's running triple digits <laughs> on Amazon. Got to But uh, but you know, I, I will tell you that yeah, if that sometimes, especially when I see coaches out there that have their athletes looking like this little robot army of you know walking quad stretches and knee hugs sometimes i think eh, you kind of just want everybody to think that you've trained your your athletes really well and they're these little machines um as as we've uh, as i talk about in the chapter i'm more of a fan of a messier looking warm-up okay that that instantly i know because i've been there that instantly makes people nervous mess chaotic i'm i'm probably I think I'm pretty reflective of a strength coach that likes things in a table, likes things in a line, um, likes to know what people are doing and 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 be ordered. So when you say that, it probably makes people think, mm, I'm not a fan of that. Because again, going back to what you said at the start with the coach, if they look over, they think, what's going on over there? It's just mayhem over there. So how do you marry the chaotic nature of that but also keeping it under control yeah and and or not just like the coach but sometimes even the athletes especially older athletes don't want to spend a ton of time feeling uncoordinated feeling like you know they, they're not the master of of this movement but i uh you know as i as i write in the book like i'm a i'm a big fan of using that time in the warm-up to push athletes towards that messy outer edges of their athleticism and you know and that happens subtly and it's for you know maybe a smaller percentage of warm-up but let's say if we were to just break it down and I have a five minute kind of thermogenic section with my athletes um and let's be super simple let's say that 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 it's just that we're just dealing with uh, I have a jump rope as one of, as a part of a super circuit I would never want to just let the athletes continue to do the two-legged jumps forward and 
backward or whatever it is, we're always going to be trying to learn new tricks. Like I have to have them neurologically dialed in. I have to have them, them feeling comfortable failing psychologically. Like I think it's just important that we get to a place like it's good for team bonding. It's also good. I mean, these athletes are used to are you know, are incredible athletes and, and they want to be achieving. And so you know, I like to be able to take, and this is a maybe a bad example because we actually don't jump rope very often. But I would, if we're going to jump rope, like I, I would definitely endeavor by the end of the season to do it not often enough that they're, you know, it feels like jump rope class, but to do it a couple times a month and progressively get to a point where the girls can be doing running backward crosses and things like that. I need them um, to be kind of wiring different different movements, wiring, even things outside of volleyball, um, th- that I think that there is a lot of, I think there's a lot of benefit from them having to kind of solve these movement puzzles, um, with different, with different implements, with different, uh, or different toys, things like that. And so, uh, as opposed to just constantly doing the same thing that you're, you're good at, even if it's something as simple as skipping, like if, if, if you can skip laterally while doing something with your arms that's linear, or if you can skip uh, linearly while doing, you know, flossing you know, with your with your arms, like that is going to be something where that that is going to get my athletes dialed in, but also smiling, also laughing with each other, also bonding, and, and that's going to be for the last one minute of a jump rope session where we're pushing, but it, it will be something. And if a coach is a little bit weird about it. Don't worry. I'm going to take care of him in the last five minutes of warm up, where everything we do starts looking a lot like his volleyball practice from yesterday, and he gets right back on my team and starts to think about buying me a beer that night. <laughs> Especially in Germany, when it's uh, yeah, yeah, he actually doesn't have to buy it. The Olympic Training Center has has taps right outside. It's it's <laughs> it's, it's heaven. It's what they're made of. Yeah. Yeah. So when it comes to designing warm-up, let's take it back to the start. What is the structure? What is the thought process that you go through when you're designing a warm-up or a series of warm-ups over a, over a prolonged period of time? Yeah, yeah. And uh, as I kind of mentioned, I really go week to week because I'm always kind of looking at what I did last week and seeing which parts need to be replicated the following week because I really want to build on them. But you know, I wouldn't maybe want to do jump rope two weeks in a row because I don't want them becoming jump ropers. I like them struggling with it. So like, as I said, so let's just take if a general week, which is you know on Sunday, if I'm looking at what I'm going to do for the rest of the week, um, that would be, let's say we have 10 different warmups that I have to do before technical practice, because most days we're practicing twice a day. Um, so that's 10 warmups that I'd have. Um, each warmup that I get is 15 minutes, uh, 15 to 20. Let's, let's keep it 15 right now. The Germans give me 20. It's great. But uh, 15 makes it easy. Um, and I would probably break that 15 minutes up into three five-minute chunks, right? Kind of a thermogenic first five minutes. I got to get their body warm. We've talked about that is the low bar that I have to that I have to cross in order or low bar that I got to get under in order to make sure that they're okay uh, and safe to start. After that five minutes, I'm going to go into I'm stretching. That's where I'm going to try to just do the minimal stretching that, that I need to get done. Tick that box. I don't stretch very long. I think that's a mistake a lot of coaches make is just trying to throw a ton of stretches at athletes when they really don't need that much. And then the last five minutes is spent kind of neurally preparing them for practice. And so that's where things start looking more volleyball specific. That's where we're starting to fire at 100%. That's where I'm designing games or, you know, we'll talk about constraints that will have them moving closer and closer to game speed, doing some volleyball movements. Um, but but yeah, if you look at that, let's just take out the five-minute section that's stretching, but that still get, leaves me with 20 different open five-minute slots in which I can start making my athletes better, if that makes sense, right? And so then I start looking at, well, there's some things that are kind of non-negotiable in my week. I'm always going to sprint my athletes. So, And I need them kind of, as much as I love variety, I need them to know when sprint day is coming up. And so let's say every single Wednesday morning, we're going to sprint. We're going to, I'm going to do a warm-up that is at the end of that warm-up going to end up with all of my athletes doing at least three runs at 100% with timing gates up at 10 meters, then up to 15, like 
progressively longer as the season goes on. Um, and uh, I'll constrain them at first so nobody runs fast enough to get hurt. Like I'll have them holding medicine balls, things like that, that slow them down. Um, but by the end, the medicine balls are off and I'm just racing my team. And my team is all trying to see if they can be the fastest girl at, at their position. And because they know the, the results get published to all the coaches and it's a big deal. So that day goes in first. And that's actually a kind of a boring warm up because that's like a sprinter warm up. Like I'm doing a ton of hamstring stuff, of course. I, I cannot have an athlete get hurt doing this. Um, after that, there's days you know, like barefoot days. So there's going to be days in my week and, and warm-up sessions that are going to be no shoes because I got to get their ankles stronger. I got to take their shoes off and do some out of alignment kind of stuff too. I need to make sure their ankles are strong when they're inverted, everted. Um, and so I put probably that stuff in first because the girls have to kind of know which days to not come in with shoes on and knows what they know what days it's going to be sprinting. Like I need that consistency. But after that, I'm left with a dozen or so boxes where now I'm thinking, okay, first of all, in the weight room, I don't have enough time to do all the shoulder work that needs to be done to keep volleyball players safe. So in that first thermogenic group throughout the week, I'm going to be like, all right, let's do handstands against the wall there. Let's do functional range conditioning, like um, infinity hovers here. Let's do banded work here. Let's do this here. And I will pepper in shoulder work in the thermogenic section. Then, of course, I have to, I'll look at what toys I have available and I'll say, okay, well, here in this particular gym, we have dowel rods. So I'll do kind of a dowel rod based thing in that thermogenic. Maybe I have girls holding the, the dowels against the wall doing overhead squats. Maybe it's a movement screen for me that day. Maybe they're doing some skips with the, with the stick over their head and a Franz Bosch like co-contraction kind of stuff. But low level, low intensity thermogenic stuff. Um, you know, if I have two by fours, if I have, if I have my medicine balls, if I have bands, if I have whatever it is, I'm going to just say, this will be my band day. And I will pick, I'll go to my Excel spreadsheet and pick from my long list of thermogenic exercises that I can do with this piece of equipment. And I start filling in those thermogenic sections throughout the week. Then I'm going to maybe check with my physical therapist to say, Hey, are you seeing big problems? Like, do you, do I need to be doing, do you need to be teaching me three thoracic spine uh, move, like uh, mobility exercises so that we can pepper those into warm up, you know, into the thermogenic section. We'll make a little circuit that involves one of those every day so that we maybe get out of some shoulder pain problem that you see. Maybe my physical therapist is like, you know, Rhett, we're getting some knee issues. I would love to recheck their ankle mobility. Oh, great. Let's put a movement screen in into one of the thermogenic circuits. We'll have them you know, jump roping here, and then they immediately walk over to the wall and see how far back they can keep their heel on the ground while they touch their knee to the wall. And we look for the big elephants in the room that that uh, that might be big problems. And so after I've done that, and then I'm thinking, okay, what what has the head coach been talking about all week? All right. So he was complaining two days ago that the girls aren't low enough on defense. Well, let me put in some stuff where the girls have to keep you know, the net, they have to be under the net and not letting their head touch the net while I throw medicine balls at them or they throw medicine balls to each other. Um, let me do some, so, you know, if they're not crossing over well on blocks, let me do, let me thra throw some bungee cords on them for the neurological section of my of my workouts and, and put in some of that. Um, and it just goes on and on, you know, if, if, uh, if we're not swinging hard at the ball, then maybe in that, and you have to know where to put it. If it's something I can handle with a low intensity exercise, then it goes in the thermogenic section. If it's something that needs to be done at 100%, that's very volleyball-like, like crossing over mechanics with resistance or assistance, then, then it goes into that last section. But if it's out of alignment strength, all that stuff goes into kind of the thermogenic sections. And so I, I just slowly build it out uh, using the, the toys that I have available, um, ticking the box of stuff that I need to get it done, out of alignment strength, you know, get, making sure they're strong with rounded backs, valgus knees, inverted ankles, that's stuff that I don't have time to do in my weight room. And so I love to be able to get that strength training done in warm-up. Um, same thing with uh, just you know, other biomotor abilities. I don't do a lot of balance stuff in the weight room. So all anything that I'm going to do on a single leg, no, not, not anything, but if I'm doing things that are just purely for balance, I shove that into warm-up. If I see something crazy on YouTube and I'm like, oh my God, I wonder if my girls could do that. 
I'll throw it right in. Who cares? It's one circuit. Five minutes. They'll do one circuit of it for five minutes on Wednesday morning. Great. Let's see how that looks. Um, and so there's freedom there. And it's not mindless. I mean, a circuit has to make sense. You have to make sure that in a thermogenic circuit, there's something that's thermogenic. And it's not not all three things are picking on their legs. That they go from upper body to lower body to to a movement screen or something like that. Um, and and then you just make sure it has flow. I mean, do we have days when the girls are working together in twos and threes? Like, because that's also a fun part of gamifying the system, making them all kind of team up and, and have to do things that uh, involve some cooperation and, and fun. Is it fun? Like, have I, have I put in enough, have I stolen stuff from Kevin Giles' PE stuff? Like, have I, have I gone in and made sure that we can, can, like, can I take out that plyometric session? This is our 20th plyometric session of the week. And instead put in a PE game that involves similar biomechanical abilities or whatever. Um, and so I'll, I'll make sure that there's also a, a component that's actually freaking fun. Um, you know, that's where the silly dancing and stuff can come in. That, uh, that, that I, I wasn't going to mention that. Yeah, I'm sorry. I feel like, I I feel like that's the... No, 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 that's fine. I just didn't want to bring it up because I thought you might get bored of it. I've been asked about it all the time. <laughs> Is no, that right or not? It, no, uh, you know, it's fun. And it's something that I think I was embarrassed about initially, but now I kind of own it. Because in yeah. in truth, like, you know, the the dancing stuff that, that got to be such a big deal online is the stuff we do before competition. And I have not been talking about a competition warm-up so far. Like, a competition warm-up is kind of a separate <laughs> animal, like, where I, there's a certain amount of, like, swagger and fun. And, I like, we do that for a whole different set of reasons. But as far as dancing during pre-training warm-ups... Like the German team did that once last season. I mean, they would love to do it more, but uh, but yeah, they you know it's not a huge part of what we do, but it does make sense within the the kind of the fun realm. I mean, I'm not ever opposed to doing it. There are times when the thing my athletes need the most is to just relax a little bit, and in that time, it's that's the perfect time where I'll fake them out. I'll set up like kettlebells and stuff all and medicine balls all over the floor. And then I'll have us just dance in a whole different section of the floor. <laughs> it's always that little zig and zag. I get the big yeah. scream and cheer and the girls go crazy about it. But, um, but yeah, there's no reason you can't. I mean, the girls are sweaty and exhausted and dialed in and it ticks all my boxes. And then I just make them go, go from a dance to a handstand against the wall to single leg squats with their partner to, you know, some other shoulder screen. And then we do another dance. And, uh, you know, for that day that might be the best thing that I could be doing for them thermogenically and for their mental state. Man, Rob, I just didn't realize I've just been talking like a ton. Like, I'm not sure. No, no, it's great. It, it, it did. It did. If I wouldn't have enjoyed it, I would have interrupted. So it's absolutely great. So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Rhett. Hope you enjoyed part one. So over in part two, we discuss more on warm-ups, the structure how we can better provide us that service during that 10, 15, 20 minutes to our athletes and how Rhett does that specifically, but also cool downs. So we finish off with a bit of a chat on cool downs, but a super cool chat coming up in part two. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by I Measure You. I Measure You is used by leading sports practitioners and biomechanics researchers worldwide to capture and compare multi-limb inertial data in the field. IMU Step from I Measure You is a dual sensor and app lower limb load monitoring tool which helps practitioners optimize return to play for running based sports. I Measure You have just released their new and improved waterproof sensor Blue Trident which includes ultra-high G capabilities to quantify high-impact steps such as cutting, landing, and sprinting, longer-life battery to collect data all day, real-time feedback to aid immediate interventions, and faster workflow so practitioners can review long training sessions within minutes of training completion. iMeasureU, now part of Vicon, works with military, pro, and collegiate coaches and athletes from around the world, including the Australian Institute of Sport, the US Department of Defense, and collegiate and pro teams from around the world. If you want to get to know more about iMeasureU, head over to their website, imeasureu.com, or follow them on Twitter or Instagram at iMeasureU. And this episode is also sponsored by Black Box Fitness. 
Black Box Fitness are leaders in performance training equipment and facility design. Black Box are specialists in designing and building performance facilities for sports teams and strength and conditioning coaches. Black Box manufacture and distribute a full range of strength training equipment from their headquarters in Belfast right across Europe. If you want to learn more about Black Box, check out their website blackboxfitness.com or follow them on social media at blackboxfitness. And this episode is also sponsored by Kitman Labs. Kitman Labs is sport's first technology company to offer a complete solution that includes innovative analytics and an advanced athlete management platform that is supported by a team of sports, technology and data science experts with over 200 years experience. Kitman Labs is leading the evolution of sports performance, partnering with over 150 elite teams across the NFL, NHL, MLB, AFL, EPL and Championship Rugby. Through advanced statistical analysis, rigorous scientific research and unparalleled industry experience, they've architected the world's only analytics platform that helps sports teams to truly harness their data and uncover the influences behind performance optimization and injury risk. To find out more about Kitman Labs, visit kitmanlabs.com or follow them on social media at Kitman Labs. And now back to the episode with Rhett. Let's have a little chat about that middle five minutes. The stretching. Mm, yeah. So there's constant debate, and there will be constant debate forever and a day about stretching. Let's have let's let's get your thoughts. That five minutes, what does it what does it include? What do you mean by stretching? Okay. So for me, it, this is kind of the least effective dose is what I'm going to look for. And as much as I pride myself in all of the variety that goes into the other parts of that warm-up, I am really consistent in the stuff that I like to do to make sure my athletes mobility-wise are ready to go to war. I don't spend a lot of time on it, but I really love a couple of big bang-for-the-buck multi-joint stretches. Um, you know, Exos used to have this thing, the world's greatest stretch, would be a good example of it. Uh Kelly Starrett has a has a hip opener series that he does. That's actually what I do almost more often. That for me, like I, I I'd be nervous if the girls didn't do it before. And you can YouTube it, Kelly Starrett's hip opener series. I think it's one of his most popular workouts. But uh, it's one of my favorites. But similarly, you know, there are bretzel variations that I do for thoracic spine and hip mobility that will will hit on. Um, I'm a huge fan of. The, I think I mentioned it before, the FRC group, the functional range conditioning, you know, you know where I can adding mobility uh, or adding strength and range of motion strength um, to unlock more, uh, to unlock more um, flexibility out of a joint. Um, I'm really going after that, you know, for volleyball players, it's ankle, it's hip, it's thoracic spine and it's shoulder. And if I get those four things done, I'm kind of out of there. Like, that's it. And in order to that it's not just, uh, you know, I'll usually pepper in some different kind of strength stuff in there as well. Like, that might be a place where we do where we do some isometric holds that my physical therapist like and that I think are too boring to put into my weight room. Um, and so, uh, you know, I'm always going to add a little bit of variety, but the girls are going to see some repetition there. Now, Rob, let me tell you this. I don't know that I am moving the needle at all when it comes to these athletes' flexibility. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't think that I've actually, this boy, this is going to really shoot me in the foot. Nobody's going to read my <laughs> chapter now. I don't think, I really don't, but not that it's my goal. Like, I'm really not trying to make the, generally make athletes more flexible unless they have a big problem that my therapist and I have seen through movement screens. But otherwise, I just need them to own whatever range of motion they naturally have. Like, that's, what I'm looking for. I honestly, and this is a hot take that I think I stole from Ido Portal, if you know that guy, is that I'm not sure you're, I'm not sure athletes are able to make really big changes in mobility during the season when they're asking their muscles to be constantly CNS, like asking their CNS to be constantly activated and firing. And, and that probably if you really want to make a big change, you've got to just lay off the weights, lay off the jumping, lay off the the power stuff and spend dedicated time, three months, six months doing straight up yoga slash stretching slash long hold 
stretches. Like I think that's probably the way to do it. You've got to just not confuse your your nervous system and just let everything have time to calm down. And then maybe you can get that mobility and own it, hopefully for long term. But I don't know. Can I play devil's advocate now, Rat? Please. <laughs> so a third of that a third of that time, so you five minutes, you middle five minutes, you're performing exercises and you just said from exercises that they cannot improve on in season. And you don't know whether you're moving the needle or not. Right. And, but critically, I don't think it matters too much. I don't think these girls have, these girls are already playing at this level, um, you know, with the mobility that they have now. And so, especially when I get them, which is, two, three weeks before the season, before their first competition, it's not realistic for me to think that I'm probably going to have that much effect on mobility. All this for across the board, generally speaking, with my team in general. Um, now, if we have an athlete who has just horrible range of motion in the ankle and we've got to do something about it, especially if it's an asymmetry, then we attack it. And I think the best time to attack it is not that freaking five minutes before a warm-up. Right there, we're just trying to get you into the range of motion you normally have and whatever. I think you've got to attack that at night. And there's a thousand different ways that you might do it. But you know, during the season, that is you know, me prescribing. You know, I've done this before. Prescribe to the athletes to say, hey, listen, your hips are worrying me. I need you when you're watching Netflix to be doing that couch stretch hip opener. And I need you to be holding it for you know, let's start with five minutes aside this week, six minutes aside next week. And I just don't think that me doing a seven minute, I just don't think there's time pre, you know, in, in the warm up to do something that's appreciatively going to help. Okay. Let's dive into that last little bit around what you do on a night. So even if these, even if the girls aren't bringing a, uh, uh, showing any issues, Hip, hips for example would you still prescribe things for them to do on night long duration stretches or that's just for those that present with with issues to be honest i've used it only with the ones that present with issues but that said i think you know i think almost anyone can benefit it feels freaking great i think you sleep better after you do things like that and i think why not it's kind of wasted time anyway so uh, you know a, setting into a couch stretch or a butterfly stretch or, you know, or holding a squat. All of it, I think, is really beneficial to do at night. I think you could actually, yeah, you, you start getting a little bit more of, uh, I think you could probably achieve some more mobility. If you watch any Premier League football, maybe not this season, I don't think I've seen it as much this season, but certainly last season or the season before, if you watch Sky Sports, which you may do when you're in, in Germany and watch the Premier League, you will see during the warm-up the activation bands, the glute bands come out. Let's have a little talk about that. Do it, it, I don't know if it seems to have faded out or I'm just not seeing it, but there was a time where the bands were always out. You saw, you saw, yeah. you saw glum-looking... Premier League stars with bands around their ankles and bands around the knees doing these acti- these activation exercises during warm-ups. Firstly, what what's your take on on that? What is the aim of that small section of the warm-up? And is it me or do you think that fad has just eased itself away or is it still there? It's certainly eased itself away and mm-hmm. You know, it is a staple of the Exos program. So, and the okay. end of the end of the chapter for the first edition of the of this book that I wrote because I was still with Exos when I wrote it. But it is a it is a very small part of my program now. I think that that there's a place for it. It certainly can do the job activating some um, some muscles that are often asleep, especially on on sedentary people that you know those need to wake up. Uh, with my athletes, um, uh, I'm much more apt to want to use them, um, not maybe in the traditional way, but like I, I have 
mini band thermogenic routines that we'll do where we are moving them all around, but I'm into moving fast with them. Like I'm not into just doing the same marches every time I'm into kind of challenge them neurologically with a little bit more balanced stuff. Like I'm, I'm kind of against it being super dull. Um, and that's why I get away. There's, there's other ways that we can wake up those muscles. I think that, uh, that don't involve having to strap on the mini bands, which can sometimes just logistically be, be no fun, but that's it. You know, we still, I still have it, have it as a part of my program, but it, it is not an everyday staple. It's probably like a twice a week staple, but that's when I'm looking at my, I'm looking at my big screen, my big Excel spreadsheet that's empty for that week. I am thinking, okay, I carry this little, I still have the bag of them. And I'll say, hey, let's do it three of the 20 warm-ups. I'll throw that into thermogenics. Um, some days we're moving fast. Some days we might do more traditional monster walks and things like that. Um, but uh, but no, it, uh, yeah, I think, I think they are losing a little bit of their popularity. I mean, it used to be that everybody, every athlete had their own set of, set of them and now you can get the nice big like thick ones and so we still see those but uh yeah not using them as often would they be used more in certain part if you were working with certain populations so other populations yeah it could be um it, i do think there's a place for them i mean i think i've almost used them more in the in the weight room like i like the idea of activating and we'll throw on big bands when we're doing some of our squats and things like that to make sure that 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 we're in alignment or just that we're turning on some muscles that that I want to make sure are awake. Um, but but yeah, I think maybe if I had a more sedentary population, maybe I would use them more often. But I still I still wouldn't use them as often often enough that it would get to be a routine. I'm pretty anti-routine. Okay. Can we spend the last ten or fifteen minutes talking about cool down? That'd be uh, oh yeah. I think that'd be a that'd be a good place to um, to round us off. Yeah. And I, the 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 list the list that I sent you over, I had a little giggle to myself because when I started playing in two thousand and three four, I think I can I was at right at the back, especially in football here in the UK, I was right at the back end of the kind of a pint after a game of yeah. with players. Yeah. And the and and the front end of rather than a pint, you'd have a protein shake. So that, that was kind of the cusp, especially at the level that I was playing at. So <laughs> cooled the 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 thing the point that I sent you over was cool down more than just a beer and a pie, which is what it was not <laughs> not too long before I uh, I finished playing started playing, sorry. So I'd love to get your take on on cool downs. I moved to the German national team expressly because I was hoping it would be back to beer and a pie. Like I thought that that's what I was going to get. Like I thought maybe I can go back to keeping this simple. Cooldowns, cooldown is, um, I thought I had cooldown figured out when I was with the Chinese team. We did something I thought was really good there. And, um, and we would treat it much like the, because what sucks about cooldown is that the athletes are mentally checked out. Like it's the last thing they want to do. I've never as, as engaging and fun as I think I am, I am not at all the person they want to be hanging out with when practice is over. They, it's like flossing. They know they need to do a cooldown. Eh, some of them know they need to do a cooldown. They know I'm, they're going to be made to do a cooldown, I guess. And, and I, and I tried to find ways that would make it as effective, but as like, I don't know as painless as possible. Like I used to put everybody in a circuit, a circle and, you know, some days we'd be doing kind of my bastardized version of yoga. Some days we'd be doing five minutes of, of like sitting postures that I stole from someone. Some days we would be doing kind of the stretch to win protocol that I used to have that I, that I developed after I read that book. I kind of like five different, I had a, a whole foam rolling circuit that I would do some days. And I would just kind of go between my, my foam rolling day my long, my band stretching day, my stretch to win day, my yoga day, my blah, blah, blah. And I would just kind of circle, cycle between those. But I started getting super annoyed that the girls were always so chatty. And I was just pushing rock up. And it's all personal. Like, it's just my ego got bruised that, of course, they want to talk about the game they just finished playing and all the stuff that happened. Like, why would I ever, why was my ego insisting that they should be riveted to the, to the 17 stretches I'm about to put them through that I think are just so badass? So what I what what we did in China 
um, is that we'd set up small circuits. Like I like when they came off the the floor, I had little stations set up. Like I had uh, you know a bunch of Theraguns or Hyperices set up in one section. I had some barbells set up for weighted stretches. Like we would do like weighted kind of Jefferson curl long hold. Um, you know, you know, standing off of a box like just hamstring holds. Um, you know, maybe there's a section that has a uh, lacrosse ball and they're getting into their shoulders. That was kind of a shoulder area. Or maybe that was an area where I let them do whatever they wanted. Um, there'd be a section where I had bands and there was, I was going to tell them, hey, I need everybody doing their hamstring stretch in this section. And I just put a little timer in. You can chat with whoever you want. But when the timer goes off, that's been a minute. You need to move on to the next section. And after five minutes, you've been through it all. I feel good. We've ticked the box. And every day, it's also a little bit different. I can give them more autonomy when I want them to be able to choose. And some days I'm like, hey, I know you guys hate rolling out your lats, but unfortunately it's super freaking important for your hitting shoulder. So at this foam rolling station, you got to roll out your lats if you're a hitter. Um, and so I kind of dip in and out of how much of a tyrant I was going to be. And, and that worked great. The athletes liked that it was, they could see the end in sight, you know, that it was, if they just motored through it. Um, I liked that I could, that I felt like it was uh, ticking the boxes, that like I could do some out of alignment stretching kind of things uh, if I wanted to. It's just another place that I could assert my will over them. Now, I I tried that, you know, that involves some equipment. So when we go on the road, it stopped being able to, I stopped being able to do it as often. And with the German team, we changed locations. We have so many different training camps that it was almost impossible. And the girls, I ended up developing a system where instead we all start with our legs up on the wall for like, and I have this whole circuit that we do with, with, you know, they're on the ground, but feet are up on the wall. And uh, we sit there for a while while they all chat, 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 chat. And then all of them have big bands and we start doing some, some ankle mobility stuff that goes into some butterfly stretches that goes into crossing a foot over a knee and getting into like a figure four kind of glute stretch. Um, all of this kind of long hold, like 30 seconds to a minute on each side, just calming the CNS down. And I've evolved that over time. It can kind of change. And, uh, you know, I just keep trying to be as creative as I can so that, uh, so that we tick that box and, uh, and, and, you know, at the end of that, we can also work in some meditation visualization stuff that I like to do with them. Um, and, and yeah, and so it has enough, you know, it's all kind of in one place, but, it, and I can do it anywhere and it kind of has enough, um, wiggle room where I can have a lot of variety, but I've gone away from the circuit. And now we got this wall thing that the, that the German athletes really like. Oh, uh -huh. I should think about that. It's so like the it's like the Berlin Wall. Oh, the, I got to think of a good name for that. Oh, jeez. Would that go down well or not? No, maybe. No, I don't know. No, that's that's a, that's a great. No, probably not. All right. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> two things. Two slight again. Two slight controversial. Not controversial, mm -hmm. but stuff that always causes a uh, conversation. Foam rolling. Yep. One. Two, yep. the Theraguns Hyper Ice massage gun. First, let's 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 tick off the um the foam roller first. Again, hot topic. Everyone was doing it. Now it's like mm, wasting my time. What's your thoughts? Yeah, I, boy, I think if gun to my head, how much does it really effectively help? Not too much, but. For, for so many athletes, it is so maybe analgesic and it just helps them. That is just, it feels so good afterward for them. And they've done it for so long. They have to do it. Um, for me, if it's in cool down, that is a low pressure mode for me. That is when I am happy to do stuff that I don't even truly like. I don't believe is as effective as me using time for something else. So when they're on that wall, oftentimes I'm setting up foam rollers behind their head and they're like, oh, okay. Well, then I'll say, okay, everybody grab your foam roller and put it in your T-spine and let's do our T-spine rolling. Let's tick that box for those of you that love it. You'll notice I don't do any soft tissue in my warmups before practice. The girls that are addicted to soft tissue stuff, that are addicted to that stuff, they got to do it before my warmup starts. Um, I don't take time to do, I think that for those athletes that really need to do it, it takes up so much time to just kind of get the whole body done, um, a little bit. Like if, 
if the, the girls that want to foam roll, that need to foam roll, really just want to need to do it in the two spots that they know help them feel good. And so um, I think it's so individual that it's not worth doing in a group setting because it just takes time away from a warm-up component that I think is probably way more valuable. Now, in in cooldown, I don't mind having the whole group do some stuff. And maybe I, and maybe, you know, and what I'll say afterward is, hey, if I just made you do something that you never do and it felt great, you might want to add it to your pre-warm-up routine or stuff that you do all the time, but not on my clock, not on my watch. Generally not on my watch. And with the guns, okay. I think they're awesome. I really think they're, I think they're great. Okay. Um, again, I also don't know if they're just like $100 placebo-inducing like <laughs> trickery. Uh, they, if, if, uh, if, if it came out that that's the case, I wouldn't be completely shocked. But yeah. there's enough, there's enough, um, there's enough people that just, that love the way they feel afterward, uh, that at least in the short term, uh, it helps them enough that, uh, that I'm happy to, to lay them out. I mean, I own two and I'm sitting here telling you who knows if it, if it works, but, uh, but they, the girls that have them certainly love them. Hyper Ice or Theragun or another th- alternative brand that you own? What have you gone for? No, I own, I own one of each. Yeah. Right oh, well, I, I got like... Both exactly the same? I got the first generation Theragun. Uh, when you turn it on, it sounds like an airplane is taking off. Yeah, It is... Like, no one uses it. You can't use... You have to have, yeah. like, two sets of noise-canceling headphones to be able to tolerate it. Yeah. Yeah. I was at a, a trade uh, a trade show in probably 2018. And there was a big Theragun... Um, place where they all were and there was multiple ones going off at the same time and it was hell walking past there (laughs) just just hammer drills just multiple hammer drills it was absolutely bizarre i i have looked into trading it in if they'll take it as a trade-in and give me a discount on one of their more now silent ones and the trade-in so they'll give you like 25 bucks for it so I'm just, I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but at some point I got to unload this thing. I think it cost me 500 bucks back in the day and it is unusable, unusable. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I think you've mentioned it enough, well, only a couple of times, so that's all good. But Joyce, you'll be happy with the, the the book has been, um, the book has been plugged. So high performance training for sports, all this information and more is in chapter 23, 23. Okay, yeah. on cooldown. Did you do the first edition? Yeah, yeah. Did you? Okay. That's uh, yeah. and uh, you know, as I kind of mentioned, the first edition was when I was working for Exos, and I, you know, the first edition. Holy smokes, that took a year off my life. I feel like I, that was so <laughs> hard to write, and it was it was just, I don't know. I, I felt so uh, I don't know. I felt like I really had to do right by the Exos methodology, and but still part of me in there too. Um, this second edition, I probably changed 85% of it. So it's it's all new this time. Um, a lot less citations and a lot more plain spoken plain spoken red opinions if, for better or for worse. I don't know. <laughs> Love it. Well, people can get that out everywhere now, can't That's available on yeah. Amazon globally, I think. Cool. Well, yeah. Rhett, thank you very much for coming on. I really appreciate you giving up some of your afternoon. But where can people keep up to date with you? We've mentioned the book. What about you? Yeah, I'm I'm not somebody that uh people need to probably keep up to date with. I need to be better about it, but um uh, you know, I'm, I'm on uh you know, I I post I need to do better about posting to Instagram because I know that the my athletes on the German team would probably really like it. Um but my handle on Instagram is redosaurus. Don't ask. I had like a nephew named me redosaurus a long time ago, but R E T T A U S A R U S. Whoa, s- slow down. Go on, do it again. R- yeah, sorry. R E T T A S A U R U S. Love it. And then on Class. Twitter, I'm just Rhett Larson, just my first and last names squeezed together. And that's it. Okay. It's only one S, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Well, thank you very much. People can jump over to the Instagram and Twitter and give you a follow. But um, I really appreciate your time. Thank you very yeah. much for, for, for yeah. giving me the afternoon and, and for a great chapter as well. 
Hey, thank you. I, I'm I'm happy that a lot of people seem to be enjoying the book. I'm super proud of the chapter. So I'm, I am, as always, super flattered to be involved in this book. Um, you know, it just occurred to me, maybe it's because Halloween is coming up. Sitting in your chair, you look kind of like a vampire. The back of your chair kind of looks like the collar. It really, it does. <laughs> does it? Because I've got a black t-shirt on. Yeah, you got the black people t-shirt listening, on the People collar. listening who aren't watching on the video what not we're talking about. But I've got a black T-shirt on. I've got... No, no, no. I've got a black T-shirt on. I've got a black headrest. And they seem to have merged mm-hmm. in the video. It's, it's spooky. It's, like it's giving you color. an edge. I'm intimidated. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll round it up there. Yeah. With, um, with that. But no, Rhett, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll keep in touch and speak soon. Yeah, that sounds great, Rob. This was great. Appreciate it. Thanks, mate. Thanks, mate. Thanks for tuning in to episode 375 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. It was an absolute pleasure to chat with Rhett for an hour. Entertaining and horrendously knowledgeable. Uh, it was great to get him on. So also big thanks to Hawking Dynamics, I Measure You, Black Box Fitness, Kitman Labs, and Satanta College for sponsoring this episode today. The podcast could not run its current form without these guys, so I really do appreciate all their support. Also, big thanks to you for tuning in, and I will chat to you with more great guests next week. 